Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Oh, thanks for coming back. I never take that for granted. It's not good when you speak on Friday and nobody comes back on Saturday. <laughs> Sending you a message. <laughs> oh, wow. We had fun last night, though, huh? It was really good. If you weren't here, we just, um, God was really here. You could feel him in the room. You can feel him, his heart for us as women. And uh, just, to, just to learn to receive that. I had so many conversations with so many of you about how hard it is to receive. And uh, I really feel like the Lord just wants us to practice that as women because, you know, like I said last night, we're so often giving that it, it's hard sometimes to receive. You know, you guys don't have to do very much to get prizes around here. <laughs> at my women's conference, which actually my women's conference is next week uh, at Duluth Vineyard, and we have women coming from all over the region and Eleanor Mumford coming from the UK, so we're excited about that. Yeah, if you want to come, you can still come. Just, you know, fly right over there. It's, it's only a 15-hour drive, two-hour flight. You, can, you, could, you could do it. Um, but what I do at my conference is you have to actually do something to get a prize. And so, like, one of them is a dance-off. And uh, so I just say the first four people that can get up on this stage are going to dance. And then we applaud, and whoever gets the loudest applaud gets a prize, you know, and it's really a cheesy prize. It's really usually not a good prize. Well, I think I give them an iTunes gift card and, you know, some dancing shoes that are glittery or something, headband, a hula hoop. And then uh, one of the, last year, the pri one of the prizes was, I said, if you think you have one of the worst women's driving stories. And so, you know, about 10 women stood up and, uh, and, that were brave enough to tell it. But I mean, we're talking about like backing into and knocking down garages, um, you know, 10 speeding tickets in one year. Uh, and the police sergeant happened to be our sound guy. And so <laughs> he was listening to these stories and I'm like, he's taking notes on you girls. He's sending the troops after you, you know, on your way out of here. But you, you know, one year, I think I did the worst cooking stories. And so you had to tell, you know, uh, you know, the worst thing you've ever done in the kitchen, and then we just gave away cookbooks and cards to eat out. <laughs> Give cards to eat out. So I try to, I sit in my office, and I'm like, how can I be clever and embarrass some people? And, you know, and you guys just have to have a birthday or, you know, get a sticker in your book or something. It's like, come on, I think you should up, up the ante and get some dancers up here or something. Next year. I'm just giving you permission to go there. Okay, Heather? Vicki? Take some notes. All right, well, um, we tackled a couple things last night, the areas that sometimes the enemy uses, often he uses, um, particularly because we're women and they're, they work. They're strategic, but they work, and that's why he keeps using them. And we're just going to talk about a couple other things today and um, pray some more. So let me just pray, and then, then we'll jump in here. God, I am, um, we're just grateful. We're grateful to be here. We're grateful to be your daughters. We're grateful that you love it when we gather. And we're not done yet, and you're not done yet. And so, Father, we just invite you even more. We give our hearts over to you even more. We give you permission to come close even more. Would you teach us just how to receive even more today, Lord? And I ask that you would move um, me, you'd move the preacher out of the way, and that you'd put power on the talk and the truth, and that it, it truly would set us free to be the women that you've created us to be, to shine, and to let Jesus shine through us, and to have fun and be free in the kingdom of God. We love you, Lord. We worship you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so one of the first things that we just kind of want to tackle this morning is uh, women, we oftentimes turn to introspection rather than relationship with the Father. And so I just want to talk a little bit about this because I don't know why, but as women, we're so prone to this kind of introspection 
And introspection is a pattern or a tendency to turn inward in order to try to deal with and cope with relationships. And it generally like, takes place in your head a lot, and it affects your thinking, and then, of course, that always impacts your spirit. And, and just to help you understand it a little bit better, it's, it's looking inside of you to try to resolve something that you really ought to be learning to look to Jesus because he's the one who's going to provide the answer. He's the one who's going to be the resolve. And if really practicing, it's, it's sort of like just practicing the presence of yourself rather than the presence of God. And your, your thoughts and your actions and your attitudes are kind of turned inward. And it, it, it always leads to down a path of worry and anxiety because you just can't figure out kind of like what's going to happen in all of these scenarios that are going on around and around and around in your head. So you just kind of, you, you, you start to fill in the blanks. And so, uh, you know, you, you just start worrying because sometimes you fill the blanks in wrong. And a lot of times, you know, the, the thoughts start with what if, like what if this happens or that happens or uh, and then the enemy kind of gets on that introspection and he starts to lie and he starts to deceive us and then he starts to fill in the blanks with lies like we talked about last night and we kind of get sent into this tailspin of really like swirling thoughts and uh, it produces this maze that we get so caught up in and it, it really becomes impossible just to discern you know what is reality what's truth here because we have taken our eyes off of Jesus, and we put them on ourselves to try to find the answers. And it, it often uh, surfaces in a number of different ways. Sometimes, you know, it's like having this script that we go over and over and over in our heads, scripts of conversations that we're going to have at work or with someone, and we're kind of like cleverly writing it all out and practicing it in our head, and we're planning the conversation. You know, uh, and if we can try to figure out and plan everything out uh, without ever really asking God or turning our thoughts toward God, we sort of feel safe or we, it gives us this sense of control. Uh, and, you know, we kind of think like this, like, well, if, if I say this and then he says this, then I'm going to say this and then he'll probably say that. And it's like, you know, you're just, you're just writing this fiction you know, script in your head, and, but it somehow gives you this illusion of, of control, like if, you know, because we don't like not knowing, right? We, don't, we really don't like not knowing. We feel so much more secure if we know how things are going to go or, you know, what's going to happen in a, in a day, and it, the, one of the hardest things for us is not knowing and, and allowing ourselves to be vulnerable and trust God with all the things that we can't figure out, and so in order to feel safer, to find that security, if we're choosing to not trust God, you know, we, we have to kind of build some plan and some way out of this place of not knowing. And it's really an illusion, you know, that we just kind of have fabricated. And somehow we think that we, we believe that if we can just figure out or assume to know things that we really have no way of, of knowing, then it's, it's going to help us feel better at the end of the day. And it's sort of like, I think of it as like taking a walk in the park with yourself and having a conversation with yourself. Nobody else is there. It's just you and, you know, these thoughts. And they usually go around and around and around in our heads. Sometimes uh, you don't just have the conversation once. You'll have it like multiple times and you'll create different scenarios and different outcomes because you're really trying to, you know, cover all your bases. And, and it some of the consequences of introspection is that we're, we, we develop phobias and we develop fears and then of course the enemy gets on that like we talked about last night. Um, we're letting those thoughts and concerns go around so much in our heads that they turn to worry, they turn to anxiety, they turn to frustration uh, and, and then that leads to more anxiety. And you know, a statistic here is that 18% of the population has 
some kind of anxiety disorders. It's actually pretty shocking if you even ask, uh, if you could ask in a room everyone who struggles with some form of anxiety or um, some phobia to identify themselves, it would be, you know, a lot. It would be 25 or 30 percent of us, and um, it's, it's no different in the church than out of the church. And, and women, statistically, women are twice as likely, twice as likely to have specific phobias or, you know, that lead to, like, severe panic disorder or even post-traumatic stress syndrome. We're twice as likely, statistically, to be affected. And, you know, it's kind of like either we can't figure out the outcome of every conversation or relationship or we can't get things to go the way that we want or that will help us feel secure and then usually we get more controlling because of those fear-based kind of thoughts and we talked about that last night. You know, and I'm kind of convinced, this is a theory, there's no Bible verse to back it up, um, that's just called Brenda, the first book of Brenda, but <laughs> I'm kind of convinced that what if women who worry, you know, they're kind of like just chronic worry, it's like a bit of a plague. What if you're really called to be prayer warriors and you just have never learned how to turn all of those worrisome thoughts into a prayer toward God? How much would we be interceding and praying if all of our worrisome thoughts went Godward instead of, right? And it, it would be interesting just to kind of try that if you struggle with worry and ask God to help you learn the discipline of learning how to make your thoughts Godward. Because really that's what's going to change, that's what's going to change this. And introspection causes us always to, to fall into pride because everything in life becomes all about the big eye. You know, because we are really focusing on ourselves and our own solutions. And we kind of create this kingdom of me. And introspection is very self-focused. And so, you know, it's very selfish. And what we're doing is we're usurping God. We're like bypassing him for our own thinking when we turn that stuff inward. And it just rests, everything rests on our own abilities. It has very little to do with letting God be the one who's in control of our conversations or in control of our relationships or the outcome of our days. So we're taking control. We're taking control of our relationships. And we're thinking about how we can manipulate and how we can control those things. And eventually, I'll tell you what happens. You can't control it because people are going to do what people are going to do. And, you know, you have so many misses, so many scenarios that don't go the way that you've, you know, fictionally written it out. And it, it generally leads to depression because we can't figure it out. We can't figure everything out. And so we start to get confused and then we get desperate, and if the enemy gets on it, and we become consumed with all of the what-ifs. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if, what if he says this? What if, what if, you know? And it's just like you're just tossed, you know, by the waves of the what-ifs. And we get anxious, then we get depressed from simply not living Godward, from not having that intimate and dependent relationship with the Father, and it's, you know what, it is exhausting because there's no end to it. There's no end to it. And it becomes, we really become obsessed. Introspection becomes an obsession. It's a way of functioning when our thoughts or our words are not Godward. And I think that we just need to call it sin. You know, it's... <laughs> Sometimes it's hard for us to just call things we struggle. Oh, I struggle with this. I struggle with this. Okay, let's just call it sin. Because then we know what to do, right? We know what to do to get out from under the negative effects of sin. We know that we're going to have to start with repentance and ask God to forgive us and ask God to help us receive the truth. He's trustworthy. He knows what so-and-so is going to say. And I can trust him to give me the right response in the moment. He knows if I'm going to have this job next week 
He knows if I'm going to get this promotion. He knows if I'm going to whatever. He knows it all. He's already got this plan. He's already got this purpose. But do I trust him enough to let him walk with me moment by moment and speak to me and help me make those decisions without all of the preface work of introspection? And so calling it sin is really helpful. And I think we need to see it that way and then train ourselves. And what we need to train ourselves to do is to run to the Father and have these conversations with Him. Like, remember last night my story about the closet and how I shouted at God and started telling Him how nobody appreciates me? And that was God word. He doesn't care how ugly it is. He just wants you to come. He doesn't, you don't, you don't clean yourself up before you go have that conversation. Well, let me make it pretty politically correct because God's not going to like it if I swear or say something, you know, in, the, in that. You need to get Godward. Get Godward. He can handle you. He can handle you. But you got to get Godward. And so you have to, like, learn how and train yourselves how to turn it all toward God Go ahead and go for a walk, but go for a walk with those thoughts toward God and turn it into a conversation with him and, and realize he's with you and you're saying those things to your Father in heaven. And then learn, learn how to listen. Psalm 139, 23, and 24, search me, O God, and know my heart and test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Remember when we talked about where we're going? That eternal journey, that spiritual eternal journey that we're on. Our feet are pointed and in, in we're going toward the everlasting. And search me, O oh Lord. Take out those anxious thoughts, that introspection. And in, see if there's any offensive way. Help me call it sin. That's offensive. To God, call it sin, call it what it is, uh, that, you, that you've been developing this really bad habit of, of bypassing God and going for a walk in the park with yourself. And just see if there's any offensive way in me and then lead me into a new path of being intimate and dependent on you. So I think this is a trap, and I think the enemy is very, very strategic. And I think that way more women introspect than men. I don't know why. Maybe it's because we're more verbal. Maybe it's because we're more remote, you know, emotional. Maybe it's because we, we like to process things. I don't know. There are men who introspect too. But I see this, you know, um, a lot, a lot in women. And so I just think we need to just own it, you know, as women and go, okay. I don't want to be, I don't want to be an introspecting person who's so self-absorbed that I create this kingdom of I. I want my life to be Godward. I want to live Godward. And that has helped me a lot just to turn it, turn it toward God and begin to have that conversation with him. And as a woman, I think also, let's talk about another thing that I think is very strategic on the enemy's part to, to throw down in front of us. I think we often also become codependent and we suffer from not being, you know, codependency really keeps us from being obedient to the Father. Um, because I, I want to explain a little bit what codependency is here. In codependency, we spend so much time, like, obsessing over what other people think or, uh, you know, what they may or may not be saying about us that we sort of allow that identity that we were talking about last night, that true identity in Christ to get lost. And, and, you know, it's lost to all of the empty ambitions of people-pleasing. And, and how, this is sort of how it shows up and how it manifests. We just start thinking that, like, if we could just, like, work harder, if we could keep the house cleaner, if we could just do a little bit more than, uh, you know, somehow our spouse or our neighbor or this person or that person is going to like us better and they'll finally approve of us. And, you know, we get on that treadmill. Or uh, another way that it manifests is we change the truth 
And rather than say what we're really feeling, we change our response to somebody, to other people, because we already kind of know them, and we know that they're probably going to reject us or have an angry response if we're honest. And so let me just shift over here and give you something that won't bother you so much. It's not real. It's pretend. But at least I won't make you angry. And so that's codependency, because we've changed what we really feel and, you know, most of us, a lot of us women live in relationship a lot of the time like that. Like off of center, shifting off of what's true because we're really bothered by, you know, the fact that people might reject us or not like us or uh, whatever, you know, whatever. We're just, it, it's, it's an effort to control the responses of people. Like somehow if I can say and do the right thing, then... You know, it'll keep every, every peace out here and everybody will be happy, right? Like, how many of us do that in our families? Try to keep the peace. And so we don't say, look, I'm, you know, this isn't working for me. It's not okay. This hurts me when this happens in our family. We don't want to say that. And so we just cover that up, suppress it, and then we kind of change our response and let stuff go on that creates more and more unhealthy things in our relationship. And really, it keeps us from being honest with ourselves, keeps us from being honest with God and, and with other people uh, about what's really going on. So if you're constantly changing your actions or you're constantly changing your responses to accommodate other people um, or to keep them from feeling something about you, you're being codependent. And one of the harshest realities of codependence is, is that it just keeps us from living honestly. So our lives are pretty, they're pretend in many ways. And that's so destructive to our relationships with God and with other people. And, and we're actually, you know, okay, let's call this what it really is. We're actually lying. <laughs> we're actually lying um, quite a bit. And the whole time we're thinking that we're keeping the peace. I'll just tell a little lie. Everyone will like it better. <laughs> and we're keeping people happy. And that is far more important to us than being honest. So we've lost the value of honesty and codependency. And eventually we've, cha we've changed ourselves. We've changed ourselves so much from being who God wants us to be that we're kind of walking in this false persona of someone that God never really intended for us to be. And we feel trapped in this person or this personality, and, and we are, again, we are exhausted because we can never say no. We have no limits. We let people hurt and abuse us, and we are miserable and tired. So what does God want in this? I mean, if this is kind of what's going on, what does God want? God calls us to become authentic and honest. That's God. There's, you know, God puts the desire in us to live out of authenticity. There's something in us that really wants real, to be real. That's from God. And I'm finding God really challenged me a lot in this area, especially over the last few years. And I want to tell you a bit of my story as I journey toward kind of learning to lead out of my most authentic self. And, you know, this has been such a process, and I'm still not there yet. I'm not done. I don't know when I will, because I have no finish line. Um, but we have our social self, and that's, you know, kind of uh, the person that is our public self. And that's the person that I've constructed. I started when I was a little girl, and I picked all my favorite things in my father, because I admired him that I wanted to be like. And then I picked other favorite things that I felt like people wanted me to be like. And I constructed this person. Um, and I have come to believe that this person is more acceptable. She's way more lovable. And she's the person that most people want me to be. And, you know, honestly, this happens all the time when we're little because, you know, you might have a brother who's a bully in your family. So say, Jane, you know, is getting more and more upset at Jimmy, who's really bullying her. And she screams at him one day and says, I hate you, Jimmy. I hate you, Jimmy. 
And mom comes in the room and goes, it is not okay to say that to your brother. It is not okay to hate your brother. You need to stop saying that. Tell Jimmy you're sorry and tell Jimmy you love him right now. Jimmy, I'm sorry. I love you. Okay. All right. Go on. Play. And right there, we just told Jane it's better to lie and that she better start pretending like she likes Jimmy, even though she doesn't. And we've, we've given her permission to start this false person who's more lovable because now parents will approve, mom and dad will approve, they'll actually give her more love if she's not honest. And so we're off to the races with our false self. And we start constructing that. And so that, that false self is the person that we really want others to believe we are. And and we work at it. We work at this image. We spend energy keeping it functional. Uh, my false self is quite functional and fun and courageous and spontaneous and adventurous. And she doesn't care if you reject her as a woman in ministry. She is strong. And eventually we've, you know, constructed this false identity that's just not really who we are inside. And we get attached to it. You know, we like, we like it, and we get attached to that. It's, there's emotional attachment, but it's, it's probably more of like a mask of who I wish I was or who I've come to believe everyone else really wants me to be. And I know for myself, you know, I, I did this, and I constructed this person who I believed was more lovable, more presentable to God and to others. And, and meanwhile, this distance kind of starts to grow, and this gap starts to happen between this public self, um, the masked self, or my real, authentic, true self, the private, the private self. And I think of the distance between these two, the social and the public self, um, the way that I want people to perceive me, and then my, my authentic self, I think of it as a gap. This gap sort of forms. And the bigger the gap is, the more dangerous my leadership is. And this is where God, you know, started to really um, call out to me because I was given more and more leadership and I started to realize that, you know, because I'm on stage, because I'm in front of people, um, that the first person that I reveal is oftentimes my, my false self, someone false. And that I can easily lead out of that place when if I'm completely honest, there's a lot more going on than meets the eye. And so behind this mask is my true, honest self. And my honest self reveals that I'm really not that courageous. I'm really not that adventurous. I'm not that spontaneous. And um, I'd like you to believe that. But when I'm honest, you know, right in the middle of my real self is this woman who does get hurt when you reject me as a woman in ministry. And who's very aware of her failures, and who is filled with lots of fears, and has a whole lot of flaws. So our true self is who, in reality, we really are. And, and it's also like who, who God's inviting us to become. And is, it's your, your total self, as you're created by God, and as you're being redeemed in Christ, he's redeeming your true self to be like Jesus. It's the image of God that you are, the unique face of God that he's put in you. And, and, it, and it's set aside for all of eternity, for Brenda, for you. And there's, there's really only one hope, I think, of kind of unmasking the false self that's become kind of who we function as. And really, for me, it was a, a radical encounter with the truth. And um, that's what we're here to talk about. So when I, um, when I realized this, I set a goal in my life for the past few years to start to confront my false self with the truth. And, the, and, I, and it meant that I was going to have to start to co confront it with the truth about my fears and my flaws and my, my failures. So when God started talking to me about my false self, I kind of felt like it was an invitation, and I was, you know, literally just like going, oh, crap, this is not good. This is going to be a hard one. And, you know, in leadership, there's places like this that you have to lead yourself. 
Because nobody's going to come up and ask you to do this work with Jesus. People don't ask you the hard questions. You know, the more leadership you have, the less people you have asking you the hard questions and if you're doing this. So you do it because you love Jesus and he's inviting you. But imagine getting an invitation from God and just kind of letting it sit on your desk for a long time. You know, you get an invitation in the mail for a wedding or something. Maybe you heard on Facebook someone's getting married. You get the official, the official invite. You kind of know what it is. You set it on your desk. You don't really open it. You've got months to put it on your calendar. So even though you knew that, you know, it's there, someday you'll open it and you'll do something about it. Um, that's kind of what it was like for me, and that went on for months. And I knew Jesus wanted to do this, and uh, I knew he had sent me an invitation to go to this place with him, and I knew that it was going to involve some really serious heart-to-heart -heart with Jesus. I still didn't open it for a long time, and I did not put it on my calendar to make sure that it happened in my life. And, and so uh, I, I was also at that time starting to press into some personal goals for like spiritual formation. And I'd really been praying for months about this, and I'd set some goals for myself to see spiritual rhythms develop in my life and ways that I could do some soul care and as a leader kind of develop. And so they were things like, you know, spending three hours a week in silence and solitude with Jesus and uh, fast for at least five days a month and go on two to three day prayer retreat a couple times a year, get a spiritual director, things like that. Um, and so... Uh, a few months later, I was traveling with Michael. He had some meetings, but I didn't, so I was spending my time for a couple of days uh, on one of my prayer retreats with him, and um, he was in his meetings, and I was alone with Jesus for two days, and during that prayer and that reflection, I decided, okay, you know, I got to open the invitation. So I opened this invitation from God, and I said, it sounded sort of like this, okay, God, if I have a false self, it was really a big if, because secretly, I think I had come to believe that we all do, but maybe I was the exception. And <laughs> so in accepting his invitation, this is sort of how my RSVP sounded. If I have a false self, will you show me what it is? Because I have no idea what it is. And will you begin to deconstruct it so that I can somehow, someday, learn how to live out of my most authentic self who you want me to be. And at this time in my life, we were talking about the possibility of taking a trip to Spain. Um, we'd been invited there to come and do some leadership conferences with some other vineyards. My husband is a crazy dreamer. Like it's, you know, the, it's just the things he thinks or dreams about doing someday are enough to just, his fancy dreams just freak me out. You know, I'm just constantly going, can you just stop it, you know? And it, it's the same gift that allows him to have incredible vision uh, and be that person too. But in my life, it manifests in listening to him and then getting freaked out. So he, he's talking about this dream, uh, and he, he wants to go to Spain, and, and he, you know, we ride motorcycles, and so he's got a good buddy, Jamie, who's a vineyard pastor over there who has two bikes, and they've been talking about you know, getting on the bikes and riding around Europe. And uh, so when he talks about it, because I'm invited to go too, um, you know, I'm in his dream. So he's talking to other people, not me, but I'm in the room. And um, I'm listening to talk to people, and I keep popping up in his stories. Like, you know, yeah, Jamie and I will ride all day, and then Brenda will kind of like meet us at a B&B. &B and, uh, you know, I'm doing all these things that he thinks I would consider fun and relaxing in his <laughs> dream. And... <laughs> And I'm just listening to him, and, you know, I listen to so many of his dreams that, you know, you try to have to learn to sift and sort and, you know, what to react to, what to plan for. Um, and on a side note here, I have fibromyalgia, and so one of the things that makes it flare up is traveling. And so when I travel, I have to plan for it. So immediately I start to plan to navigate the pain that's going to happen in Michael's dream for me, and um, because I don't, but I don't like planning for physical pain. <laughs> so, you know, I start to feel all this stuff inside, and I start getting agitated, and, um, and the next morning, after I had spent all this time with Jesus and opened the invitation from God and asked him to show me my false self and deconstruct it, Michael starts to say, 
you know, you seem a little frustrated this morning. You know, and I'm like trying to fix my hair and I'm practically cussing. And, you know, uh, he's like, you know, what, what, what's going on? Like, why are you so agitated? And, you know, so this thing that's happening in me, because he had been, you know, talking about this with people now for weeks, um, it starts to really get me stirred up. And then Jesus is getting ready to deconstruct my false self. And so we're supposed to go, we're on our way to go meet with Chris and Christy Lazat who are amazing worship leaders in California. And um, we're going to meet them near where they live in California this morning. And we're supposed to drive about an hour to meet them at their favorite coffee shop and spend the day with them. So I'm in the car, just put on my makeup, finally got my hair in place. And uh, I start to express why I'm feeling frustrated. And I tell him that, you know, as he's talking about this and as he's dreaming about it, I'm, I'm starting to feel really aggravated and it's, you know, I realize it's because he has me doing things that are going to cause pain, and he's not really talking to me about it. And so I start to express this, and that when I hear you planning this trip, I start to feel anxious. And I guess that I'm actually kind of afraid. I'm afraid of the pain, and then I just start filling in the blanks. And, you know, my real self is afraid of the pain. And as I'm starting to tell him this, I start to cry. You know, and it's like really emotional, and I start to feel like this is not going to be a fun trip, and I'm going to be traveling and trying to keep up with Michael on these motorcycles and feeling all this physical pain. And in fact, everyone is, and then it just goes on from there, and it really gets ugly. Um, you know, like everyone is going to wish I wasn't there because of my pain, because they have to slow down, and it just goes on and on. And, you know, he's saying things to me like, that's ridiculous. I'm like, I know it is. Um, <laughs> stop counseling me. But as I'm saying it, I go, oh my gosh, I am so filled with fears. Where is the courageous, adventurous, spontaneous, fun-loving Brenda that I'm trying to be? She is not in this car. And then I get really exasperated at myself, and I try to suck it up and go back over there. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. And then I start sobbing, and Jesus is like going like, he's showing me. He's showing me. That's her. She's more functional. This is real you, full of fears. And you've never, ever been able to be honest about this. And all of a sudden, I'm in conflict with my false self. And I mean, like, I'm coming undone. I'm sobbing and sobbing, and I'm thinking, wait a minute. I cannot be honest about that because I'm, you know, all of these things and I know that is who Michael wants me to be. In fact, that's who he married. So he's not even going to love the real me anymore. Oh! You know, sobbing, sobbing. And I'm just like coming undone emotionally. And I couldn't stop crying. And in my mind, I thought, you know, I have got to get it together and go back over there and be more strong and be more courageous. I hate the way this feels. I feel so vulnerable. I feel so I can't stop crying. God wouldn't let me stop crying. I just was coming undone. And he just kept saying, if you go back there, that's her. That's your false self because inside you are filled with a lot of fears about this trip. And that is what is real. That is what you are. You are afraid. I have spent most of my life telling people I'm not afraid. And so, you know, you literally are just, it is so hard to explain just how vulnerable I felt. And Michael, he did a great job of not overreacting, um, you know. But in fact, I started to get more mad at him because, you know, he didn't, he didn't really do anything. He was just like GPSing to the coffee shop, you know, like... Here I am falling apart. Shouldn't you like pull over the car and pray for me or something? Like do something. I was desperate. And I was, you know, finally I said, you know, just out of sheer desperation. I'm like, I'm not doing this today. I'm not going to meet with them. Drop me off anywhere. I don't care. Drop me off somewhere. I just need to be alone. I can't do this with you. I can't go meet with your friends and go. You just go to your happy place and leave me alone and... I, they can't see me like this. They think I'm her. I've been building a relationship with them, with her. And I'm coming undone. So he doesn't do anything. He just drives the car every once in a while. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm like, shut up. 
So we get to where we're going, and he parks the car. He says, I'm not leaving you anywhere. I'm not leaving you alone because you're just too upset. And so I'm like, oh, this is terrible. I'm trying to put myself back together, reapplying makeup, you know, and taking really deep breaths and trying to regroup and stop crying. And he comes around the car. We get out. And, oh, okay, okay, okay. You know, and then here come Chris and Christy Lazat. You guys know them? They're from California. They're tall, tan, blonde hair. Here they come, running across the parking lot, hairs flowing. <laughs> Slow motion, you know? It's like the beautiful people. Here they come, the California beautiful people. And here's Michael. Come on, Myrna. He's dragging me, you know? And I'm like, Fake it, fake it, fake it, fake it, get it together now! <laughs> and the enemy is like, you cannot be honest or they will reject you. You cannot be honest about, this is serious fears. You cannot let this out. You can't let anyone know. And so here they come, they give us this big hug, and they look at me, I'm like, oh my gosh. Seriously, they're like, are you okay? And everything in me wants to lie. I'm fine. But I can't lie. And I say, no. I don't even know what is going on. I don't even... I'm just, I'm just a mess. I'm just like having a really, really emotional day. And you know what happened next it has changed me forever. Because in that moment... Instead of like brushing it under the rug, instead of all the false, you know, kinds of ways that you would expect, instead of rejection, which the enemy had me convinced was coming, they go like this and they pull me in. They're huge. He's taller than tall. <laughs> Their hair is like all in my face. <laughs> but they pull me in and they just hold me. They just hold me. And they said, oh, Brenda, we don't care. We're just glad you're here. We're just glad you're here. We don't care. You know what? You don't have to say anything if you don't want to. Or you can talk about it all day if you want to. Like, we don't care. We just love you. Okay? You okay? Okay? Is that okay? I'm like, okay. Okay. And we go get in line. We get coffee. We sit down. They ask me, like, uh, two questions. I say, I don't know, Jesus, I just, I just told Jesus to deconstruct my false self yesterday, and, you know, what you see is what you get. I don't know what is happening. I don't know what's going on. They're like, that's okay. We don't care. Just relax. Be yourself. And, you know, the enemy always lies to us, and he always says, he says that if we're honest about what we really feel, that people will reject us, people will judge us, all the work we've done for all those years to try to pretend like we're somebody we're not, it's over, gigs up, out of business. And he just lies and he says, it's not going to work. It is not going to work, to be honest. It's just not going to work. But it's a big lie. And I've been like just learning what I've experienced and what God's people have shown me is Jesus. Like, my, I'm a mess. Like, you can't even believe I get in situations, conversations, and I'm starting to be honest, and it is messy. Like, I just feel like my authentic self is literally this big, messy thing of fears and failures and flaws. And, and my staff and God's people, they're just like, it's okay. You know, I had to tell my staff, like, I, I'm supposed to pastor the staff, 34 people. I'm, that's my job. I pastor the staff. And, you know, I, I went through some really hard losses, and I, I didn't act as spiritually mature as I thought I was, and I wasn't as emotionally mature as I thought I was. And all of a sudden, I'm overwhelmed with brokenness, and I'm overwhelmed with fear and loss about this stuff that's happening. And I had to, like, go to a staff retreat that I'm supposed to lead and say, you guys, I can't do this. I, this is stuff that's happening is so personal is all I can feel is my brokenness right now. I'm overwhelmed with fear and loss and failure. And they just looked at me and they go, we don't need you to be a rock star, Brenda. 
we can we just pray for you. We love you, and we'll carry you. And now I think now we're having some real relationship, right? Now we're having real, authentic relationship. The enemy will always lie and say, "Don't be honest." be rejected. And I don't know, somebody probably someday is going to judge me for being honest and say, you know, this is ridiculous. You know, get it together. Um, and, you know, what we come to believe is, and what I, what I had come to believe is that my honesty and my transparency would disqualify me from being a leader, from being a pastor. But we're missing out. And you know what? I feel in this place of messiness. You know, Jesus is already over here loving me. In the, he already knows about this stuff, right? So, you know, we're thinking we're making ourselves more lovable, but he's like, no, I'm already over here in the middle of your fears and failures loving you. You're just not receiving me at your real place of need. And so as I started to let him love me in the middle of my mess, I walk around feeling more love and more grace than I have in years. Because now it's not at an arm's length. It's like he can come close and he can love me and I can say, I'm really afraid. I'm really afraid. And he says, do not be afraid, because I'm with you. And I know this. And so it's, it's just been an, a, a, a rich, rich, messy experience to learn how to become authentic. Um, but I think that this is probably, this, this, this is probably, this is where we're going in the new heaven and the new earth. And so I'm excited to try to cooperate more with the Spirit now because I think God calls us to that kind of authenticity. Um, the real codependency buster is, is that we just don't depend on Him. God is also calling us to dependence on Him. You know, coming back over and over. And really, dependence is just, you know, sometimes you, you help people learn how to depend on Jesus and they do it and then they're doing good again, so then they take off and they quit depending on Him and they're like, well yeah, I tried that thing you said and it didn't work. I'm like, yeah, it did. It worked for 10 minutes. It worked for two hours. It worked for a day. Whatever made you think you weren't going to have to come back and do it again? That's dependence. It's just the willingness to come back over and 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 a hundred times a day. That's dependence. So dependence means I don't care how often I have to go to Jesus. I'm just going to go to Jesus. That's dependence. So it's not, it's not rocket science. It's just get used to coming back. And we don't like that because of self-sufficiency. We just want to be one and done, you know. And that's, that's just not dependency on Jesus. That's not, there's no humility in that. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But God calls us to also mutual interdependence with one another. So what would that look like? What is mutual interdependence? What is this kind of healthy community that supports authenticity look like? I have a definition there in your booklet. Mutual interdependence occurs when two persons, secure in God's acceptance, mutually give and receive love and forgiveness without demanding approval or conformity to expectations in return, resulting in spiritual vitality, a balanced view of self, and genuine intimacy. See, the grace that's flowing from God flows into our relationships and our lives with other people. And from that place, we become interdependent. I like to think of interdependent people as just a, a funnel that God flows through to the other person. And your motive is always to help them get to Jesus so that he can do what he wants to do. And freedom from codependency and this trap that the enemy set might look like this. I think, you know, starting with what we talked about last night, well, who, who do you say that I am is, is a good start, a good foundation for it. But abandon your strategies of self-protection. That false self is all about self-protection and control and believe that God accepts you, God loves you, and that's enough. It's enough. God's acceptance is adequate even in the absence of other people's acceptance. This has been so hard for me because I so want other people to approve of me. But, you know, receiving that gift of approval from him and then learning how to do it over and over again uh, has, has been a, a real game changer. Stop giving too much or too little in relationships and learn what God says is appropriate to offer 
or to receive. You only do what the Father's telling you to do. Don't make a meal if God's not telling you to make a meal for somebody. Because then it's all you, no Jesus. So just think of it like that. You know, how do I get on track with what God wants? Because you learn to let God say what's appropriate for you to offer, or what's appropriate for you to receive. He, he gets to decide that. So that will help bust codependency. And then thirdly, ask God what to do and obey him. Because he should be the one to decide, you know, what to do. And, it's, and when you do something, then it's out of, out of love for and obedience to the Father. And then just to close, all of these things are, that we've talked about are resolved in kind of ordering our lives around these callings and invitations from the Father. You know, and this is in summary because we've talked about all of these things uh, at length. But here's what's at the core of what God is asking of us as women. Intimacy with the king, sitting at his feet, and here's what's helped me um, develop intimacy. It is time spent. It's, you know, connect, 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 face-to-face, heart-to-heart, over and over, dependency. So it's intimacy, sitting at his feet, but Get to the point where you're wasting time with him. You know, part of why we won't spend time with Jesus is because we don't think it's productive. And I honestly think this really grieves the Father's heart. That we're always like in that place of, you know, if, sitting in your presence, God, I'm not doing anything for you. And this is about, intimacy is about being, not doing and, you know, when you want to hang out with a friend, really good friends, they don't have to do anything. They can just waste time together for hours with no other motive except, like, we just want to be together. We just want to hang out. We don't always have to be doing something. And so waste, get to the point where you just, you're there and you're surrendered. You know, the first step in receiving is surrender to his presence. Like, go, I don't. Go wherever you need to go. That happens for you, you know, by water, by a lake, worship music on, you know, eating ice cream. It doesn't matter. Wherever you feel Jesus, get in that vehicle and then surrender to his presence. Just surrender to his presence. Oh, my gosh, you're here. (sighs) Thank you for being here. You know, thank you for being with me. I surrender to your presence. Surrender is just a posture of, of receiving and being with and not just doing. And then nurture that. Just nurture that friendship. And it's hard. At first, you know, when you start to practice silence and solitude, you just want to scream, you know? It's just hard. I hated it for a long time. I hated it. And now I depend on it because that's where I meet Jesus and, and that silence and that solitude and just... In that place, I'm listening. I'm not, it's not, I don't have my prayer list out. I'm not like interceding in that place. That's him saying to me who I am and feeling his heart and him speaking into my life. And then one of the other things he asks is that dependency thing, learning how to become really, really dependent on him for our needs to be met. And then out of that place, you know, I just... I just want to get to the place where I depend on him so much that all these other false substitutes, they're not even attractive anymore. I don't have to go there anymore. I don't need that because, I'm, I mean, I can't even, like, I want to get to the point where I can't even make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich without him. You know, like, oh, Jesus, should I use crunchy peanut butter or a smooth peanut butter or what, you know, what are we doing today, Jesus? You know, just like you, 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 you feel him right here. You try to turn your face and you just smash. Oh, good, there you are. You know, you smash into him because he's right there. And just not being able to breathe without him. That's healthy. It's unique, but it's healthy. And then the, the other thing I think God asked for us is that obedience. And here's the thing. You know, if you put these in this order, like, when people get mixed up and they don't know what to do, I'm like, well, how's it going sitting with Jesus? I'm like, go back to number one. Because if you're intimately sitting with him and you're depending on him to get your needs met, he'll tell you what to do. 
And then you can do it, and you know it was him because you did one and two. So if you don't know what to do, go back to one. And sit in his presence, and you'll hear his voice, and you'll, you know, the spirit will rise up in you, and you'll want to be obedient to do the things that he's whispering and inviting you into. You know, he's, I think of it as this, you know, Jesus is the one who got on that cross for me. I go to great lengths sometimes, and it's as if someone else did it. You know, sometimes, you, you know, our heart to please people, I'm like, who died for you? Not one person has got on that cross for you except Jesus. And he's the one who bought our life with the high price of the blood of the Lamb. And, and acknowledging that and coming under that in our life and the life that he gives us is what makes the enemy flee. <laughs> and then we are set free. Yeah? Amen. Why don't you ladies stand up with me, if you will. Father, I know there's just no doubt in my mind that as we've been together and in your presence today that you have put your finger on things in our life. Your spirit's already um, doing some nudging. God, you made us so unique and so beautiful as women, and you're so happy with us the way you've made us. But we do get trapped in these things, and the enemy is trying to sabotage that beauty. The enemy is trying to take us out of being intimate and dependent and obeying you, trying to take us out of your kingdom. And so we just want to stand and confess these things and repent and say, come, Lord, and set us free. I know the Lord is inviting you. I know he is. I know he's, there's things as we've been talking that just the spirit was on it. And when I said it, the Lord was saying it and you knew it. And as, as you have felt God's finger here last night or today, it's just an invitation. And now we just get to respond to that. We get to respond to all of those invitations. And so would you just, um, you know, it's, it's so practical. Coming up for prayer is so practical. It's like, how are we going to pray for you in the middle of those chairs? We can't get to you very easily, one. And um, two, you haven't reached out to touch the hem of his garment, so we're not sure. Um, if we're intruding or not. But, so, just for practical purposes, as God has put his finger on something, um, would you just come and just, right now, even just come and stand up here in the front so that we can begin to minister to each other? Bless you. Don't be afraid to move forward so there's plenty of room just come Lord some of you the Lord's already coming you know it just let him come that's Jesus on you it's so practical it's just his daughters coming to their papa just come Lord Holy Spirit come just come Lord we say yes to you, Jesus. Yes to freedom. Yes to the invitation. We just say yes, Jesus. We open the invitation. We're going to orient our lives around it. We're going to put it on our calendar. We're going to change something to take this invitation 
to go to this place that you're inviting us, this new freedom. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Just receive. If you're not used to getting prayer, it helps to kind of, I, I like to put my hands up because it just means I'm expecting God to come and do something. You don't have to, but just, you know, picture Jesus coming close to you right now. So you and him. It's a good time to practice receiving. It's you and Jesus. Come, Lord. These are your daughters. All that you have for us, let it come, Lord. Let it come, Lord. More, Lord. More, Lord. God is very personal. He's very specific sometimes, and sometimes he's general. And you're just, you're just saying yes. You're just throwing your, you know, your hat in the ring and saying, oh, yes. Yes, Lord. Thank you for loving us so much that you don't want to leave us the way we are, God. Thank you for pursuing us and keeping our feet pointed toward that eternal shalom person that you're making us into. Lord, I break all of the spirits that are not from the Father heart of God that have attached themselves to codependency and fear and insecurity and introspection and all the other ways that the enemy traps us as women. I break the power of those spirits that have been assigned to us in the name of Jesus. And I just say, these lives have been bought by the high price of the blood of the Lamb. And you have to get off our lives and leave us alone because we are daughters of the King. We stand here as daughters of the King, ready to receive all the benefits of a daughter of the King, Kings and Lord of Lords. Come, Jesus. Come, Jesus, even more. The Lord's going to just, who do you say that I am? He's going to start talking to you some more, even like last night. Just going to continue that. begin to just worship a little bit. We're going to come around and just pray. Uh, I invite people that are on prayer teams or small group leaders or um, if you pray on a regular basis just to come on up and help pray for some of these ladies. And just ask simply, just pray for a bit and if you can in the spirit and then just ask a simple question. What would you like Jesus to do for you today? What's your invitation? And then just begin to listen to the Lord pray what he's saying. It's, it's your time. It's your window with, with Jesus. Don't rush it. Just settle in. Let him come. It's you and him.
broken I run. So I wait.